They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 12th of, what is today? March. <laughs> Hi, Terry's not in the studio today. He's on baby duty. So we're doing a tag team here. So we're doing good. So we want to remember that, uh, that we are blessed, that we are made in God's image, that we are persons to be loved. We are precious and dear to him and that all of the suffering in our life doesn't define who we are. We are God's children, dearly beloved to him. And uh, so we, we want to enjoy God's love for us and accept all that. And uh, it's Lent. We want to enter into the passion of our Lord. And today we want to talk about um, what certain passages in the Old Testament had to say about the passion of our Lord. But we're going to look at the readings for today. And today is Friday of the third week of Lent. So we'll begin. I also want to look at the... there's. You know, every day you don't just have the, the gospel reading. You also have the Old Testament reading and a psalm. And today the Old Testament reading is from the book of Hosea. And the prophet Hosea says, Thus says the Lord, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. You have collapsed through your guilt. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all iniquity and receive what is good, that we may render as offerings, the bullocks from our stalls. Assyria will not save us, nor shall, we have, nor shall we have horses to mount. We shall say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds compassion. I will, hear their de- I will heal their defection, says the Lord. I will love them freely, for my wrath is turned away from them. I will be like the dew for Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike root like the Lebanon cedar and put forth his shoots. His splendor shall be like the olive tree and his fragrance like the Lebanon cedar. Again they shall, draw, they shall dwell in his shade and rise again. They shall blossom like the vine and his fame shall be like the, line, the, the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have you to do with idols? I have humbled him. I will prosper him. I am like a verdant cypress tree. Because of me you bear fruit. Let him who is wise understand these things. Let him who is prudent know them. Straight are the paths of the Lord. In them the just walk, but sinners stumble in them. The word of the Lord. And then the psalm response is from Psalm 81. And it's not the entire psalm, but it's part of it. I am the Lord your God, hear my voice. An unfamiliar speech I hear. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I rescued you. Unseen I answered you in thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear my people and I will admonish you. O Israel, will you not hear me? There shall be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any alien God. I, the Lord, am your God, who led you forth from the land of Egypt. If only my people would hear me 
and Israel would walk in my ways. I would feed them with the best of wheat, and with honey from the rock I would fill them. So in the prophet Hosea, we have the prophet calling Israel back to the Lord God. And of course, he's doing this on behalf of God. God has told him, thus says the Lord, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. And the Lord promises that he will forgive all iniquity. You see, the Lord's forgiveness is directed toward our giving up our sins and returning to him and seeking everything that we need in him. He, he says to, um, you know, Assyria will not save us, nor will we have horses to mount. And again, yes, there's, there's a, a, a historical context for this. But remember, how does it apply to our hands? Are we looking to political leaders to save us? Or are we looking to the Lord to save us? Are we thinking that our money or our wealth or our position is going to save us? Well, we're looking at the wrong thing. Say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. God is God and we are not. The God who made the universe, and he had no obligation to make anything. God was sufficient unto himself. He was a trinity of persons. He was complete within himself. He still is. But he desired to share his happiness with a creature. So he made us in order to share with us his happiness. We are called to live in union with God. And it is through living in this union with God that we become holy and that we experience beatitude. And it's just, you know, do we think about this? Do we think about the reason we were made? Why did God make us? Well, God made us to show forth his goodness and to share with, his, share with us his everlasting happiness. In his book, Christ the Life of the Soul, Don Columbia Marmion writes, God wishes to make us share in his own life so as to render us holy and fill us with beatitude. This is God's desire. And so we have to give up our sins and turn back to the Lord. And the Lord must be first. We shall have no other gods before him. God is first in our life. And yes, first before our family. That doesn't mean we neglect our family. Okay. And that's, you know, the, the fine line. But if our family's telling us we can't serve God, then we can't listen to our family. If, if we have a spouse who's telling us, no, you can't go to church, you have to stay with me. No, that's not true. I can't serve you if I can't spend time with the Lord. Only God can give me the strength that I need to serve you and to be the best wife or husband or mother or father or child that I need to be. So I need to have this relationship with God a loving relationship of a child to his father, up to a good father who watches over him and takes care of him. And, and he goes on to describe what he will be like to his people if they will, you know, he will heal them, he will love them freely, his wrath will be turned back, he will be like the dew of Israel, he will blossom like the lily, he will be like the, the root of Lebanon cedar, his splendor shall be like the olive tree and his fragrance like the Lebanon cedar, and, and the deal is, God wants to share all of his glory with us. And Israel was supposed to be the light to the nations. Israel was supposed to bring the nations to God. And the same is true for us in the church. We're supposed to bring people to God. 
We're not supposed to let people take us away. We're not supposed to let our entertainments and our comfort and our ease and, you know, all of our material things become a substitute for God in our life. So we need to examine ourselves in regards to what the prophet says here. And then in the, in the Psalm, the Lord says, you know, I relieved his shoulder of the burden and his hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I rescued you. God listens to our plea. Unseen I answered you in thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And if you know the Old Testament and the, the people's, um, when God delivered the people from Egypt, at Meribah and Massa they tested the Lord. Is God really with us or not? Because they were tired. And this is what we do. We get tired and we complain. And that's what we have to be careful. When we're tired, when we're discouraged, we have to turn to the Lord and acknowledge, Lord, I acknowledge that you are good and I will to take delight in the good that I see in you. And I trust you. I trust you with all my heart. Not because it makes sense to, to my feelings, not because it even makes sense necessarily to my intellect in this moment in, in what I'm suffering or what I'm seeing in the world. But I acknowledge that you are good and the source of all goodness. And so I will trust you. But the Lord warns us, there shall be no strange God among you. Do we have someone else or something else we're serving before we serve God? We have an obligation to God. You know, the bishops, the pre, the bishops can dispense us from our obligation to assist at Holy Mass on Sunday because of this pandemic lockdown, whatever the government rules. But they cannot dispense us from keeping the third commandment. Keep holy the Sabbath day. We must give God what is God's. And first of all, that's our whole self. But Our Lady at La Salette wept and she told the children, God has given you six days on which to work. He's reserved the seventh for himself and you won't give him that. And she wept. This was the Blessed Mother weeping. The people were, this was, you know, France in the time of, the, in, in, Lou, in, wait a minute, in the wake of, in the wake of the French Revolution. And the children that she appeared to didn't even know the Our Father and the Hail Mary. Our Blessed Mother had to teach them. But people weren't even going to Mass on Sunday anymore. And this is what's happening now with us. And we're saying, oh, but be, because of the sickness, because of, well, where are we putting our trust? Sure, there's a, there's a virus out there that's a nasty virus if you get it. it. For some people, it's not. For some people, it's worse. But early treatment, the, the countries of Japan and Taiwan have proved that early treatment, it, it's a curable. 99.5% of the people who get the virus survive it, you recover from it. You don't need you know, to, to lock down and not go to church. We need to pray. Everybody needs to pray. If you're struggling in your life, if there are problems in your marriage, if you're not getting along with your wife or your husband, if there's this constant bickering and badgering, and turn to the Lord in your need. Humble yourself before the Lord and beg him for the help that you need. Do you think you can change your husband or wife? No, only God can change them. Only God's love can change them. But are we turning to the Lord in our need or are we turning to politics? Are we expecting the president to do everything for us? Are we expecting our senators and representatives? You know, this country was founded one nation under God. And President Reagan once said, a nation no longer under God is a nation gone under. So let us not put any other false gods before God, the Lord our God. Let's put him back in first place and see what happens. We'll be right back with Bible with Barbara.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Terry's um, on baby duty, so I'm here in the studio with my guarding angel. And Terry's here in spirit. We're um, looking at the readings for Friday of the third week of Lent, because today is Friday of the third week of Lent, March 12th. Thank you for joining us here, and welcome to all of our new listeners and the listeners from um, Stations of the Cross Radio who may may be listening. Thank you for joining us. Um, If you like this, remember on the videos, you know, the like button below and click the like button and click share. Let other people know there's a Bible study out there for you, a Catholic Bible study. Uh, Yeah, Catholics do study the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's our family heirloom. We love the Bible. The Bible is God's word in written word. Remember, for um, in in the Second Vatican Council, the Council made it very clear in the Dogmatic Constitution on Dogmatic Constitution Dei Verbum, Word of God, that the Word of God is first and foremost a person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, God's only begotten Son. But yet, the Word of God is brought to us in human words, so that um, God speaks to us. He spoke to us through the prophets. He 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 teaches man to trust to try to. He teaches man to trust him. And, of course, what we have to struggle with is we have to struggle with the constant temptation from the devil to be like Adam and Eve and allow the trust in God to die in our heart. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to allow their trust in God to die in their heart, and that's what they did. And that's what brought suffering into the world. People, I've heard people, young people say, oh, well, God created sin. You know, God must have made abortion because God made everything, and abortion exists. So God, No, God did not make evil. And, and in a philosophical sense, evil is not something that exists. It's the absence of something. Everything that God made was good. So goodness is, is what's in existence. And if you reject goodness, then that's, that's an absence. You're rejecting goodness. And so what, what, what is that? That's the void, and the, the void is evil. And um, evil is the rejection of God, and it's sin. Sin is evil. God did not make sin. He did not make death, as a matter of fact. So no, he didn't make abortion. He made good goodness everything that he made was good and he made the human beings in his own image as persons to be loved so know that you are beautiful and good you are made in god's image as a person to be loved and you are precious and dear to him and just as a note i answer the questions on the app for the app listeners and i am so grateful to all of you for being so patient for my tardiness sometimes in answering those questions um, I am a grandmother with a grandson, and I, my husband and I do spend a lot of time taking care of our grandchild, so um, it, it's a great joy, but at the same time, it doesn't give me always a lot of time. There's, there are sometimes when I don't get to my emails for a week at a time, so I, I know some of you have been extremely patient. I answered some questions last week that were all the way back from January. It's not personal. There's nothing personal about it. It's not because your question wasn't worth answering, and I may have missed some questions, so if your an- question didn't get answered, you can ask it again. And thank you so much again for your patience with my tardiness. Anyone who wants to donate and support Virgin Most Powerful Radio can call 877-526-2151 to make a donation. So we're looking at the readings for the Friday of the first week of Lent, and then we're going to get into the Old Testament, what it had to say about the passion of Christ. So we did the first reading and the psalm, and of course, the, the whole idea here is that God is looking for our repentance. He's looking for our heart. He wants us to give up our sins so that he can fill us with himself. So if there's sin in us, insofar as there's sin in us, then he has to wait until that's gone. He has to wait till we're willing to let go of our sins and confess them and get rid of them so that he can fill us with himself. So the gospel reading today, one of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, which is the first commandment? 
the first of all the commandments. And this is Mark 12, 28 through 34. Jesus replied, the first is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you are right in saying he is the one and there is no other than he. And to love him with all our heart, with all our understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is worth more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered with understanding, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared ask him any more questions. The word of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So this scribe comes up to ask Jesus this question, which is the first commandment? And of course, this echoes the psalm that we had. We must not have no other gods before the Lord. And also Hosea, when he's telling us we need to give up our sins and return to the Lord. Why? Because God is first. We need to return to the Lord. And it's not, you know what? All the sacrifices in the world, all the physical sacrifices can't equal us giving up our sins and giving ourselves to the Lord. And this is what he's looking for. He wants us. <laughs> he made us for himself. We are his, by the way. We belong to the Lord. He made us. So the scribe answers, and he answers with this insight. You see, in the, in this, at this time, the, 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 the leaders of the people had actually, in a sense, put the temple above God. And, and the temple sacrifice above God. Remember, they said that if a man, um, you know, had was supposed to take care of his parents, but he said anything, he says to his parents, anything that I have is korban, that is dedicated to the temple, then they said, then they said, the scribes and the Pharisees of his time, the leaders of the people of, of Jesus' time said, you don't have to do anything for your parents. And what does Jesus say about that? You're negating God's law to replace it with man's law. God said, honor your father and your mother. So that is first. It's not the temple sacrifice. And it's not saying, oh, everything I have is dedicated to the temple, which, by the way, didn't mean you gave everything to the temple. It just means that when you died, everything would go to the temple. And you could do anything you wanted with it as long as you were alive, but you didn't have to support your parents. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. That wasn't what God was talking about. You love the Lord your God. But when we love the Lord our God, this is a personal relationship where we enter into a communion with God and come to know him as he is, as our father, as, some, as one we can trust, one who will always take care of us and who will never abandon us. You know, God loves us and his love has the power to transform us. When you look at yourself, sometimes when we look at ourselves, the devil tempts us just to look at ourselves and our sins and our misery, because then, then we're not looking at God. And, oh, we're so awful and horrible, and we just couldn't please the Lord. We're so dirty, and we've done so many horrible things. And um, Father Calloway had the experience once in prayer. He was praying, and he was like, this, you know, blessed mother, you know, I'm so ugly. I'm not worthy of God. And, and, you know, I just, and he said, I had a sense that she said to me, Donnie, you don't have to change to love me. Let me love you and my love will change you. And her love, of course, for us is she loves us with the love of God. <laughs> the Blessed Mother 
only desires God's will. But the point is this. Yeah, let God's love into our life and let it change us. That's why that prayer, you know, although, you know, it, it not in the scripture, it doesn't say anyway, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, come into my life as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and take possession of me. It's so powerful. And mean it. And if you don't mean it right away, it's like, Lord, I say the words, but I want to mean them with all my heart. But I'm still, you know, it's like the priest said in the sermon this morning, you know, but I'm still attached to, you know, my anger at my brother or my resentment toward this person or, you know, my wanting to covet my neighbor's stuff. I see all that nice stuff my neighbor has and I'm thinking, well, gee, I should be able to have it. He shouldn't have it if I don't have it. So why don't I just take it and make it mine? You know, and, and, and he said, look, when you're when you come into church, be honest. Don't lie. You can't lie to God. So don't lie. Just just be honest. Yeah, Lord, I, I'm a sinner and I'm inclined to sin. And yeah, there's a lot of times when, you know, some of us feel anger to the point where it's like, you know what, if I let this rage take hold of me, it has the power to destroy another human being, to take their life. And it's frightening. It can be frightening. But we, we trust in the Lord and we put the Lord first. It's like, Lord, I don't consent to the sin of anger. But, you know, when injustice is done, we should feel the emotion of anger because God gave us the emotion of anger to move the just man to correct injustice. But in every injustice, we have to stop and ask ourselves, is it my place to correct this injustice? And if it is my place to correct it, and that's the first question I have to ask myself and be honest about, if it's not my place, then I need to offer it up to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I don't consent to the sin of anger. I acknowledge the injustice I see. I can't change this but I can offer the suffering of seeing this injustice to you. And in union with you, Jesus, how many injustices did Jesus see walking around in Galilee and Judea in the first century AD under the Roman Empire? And he did not correct everyone. And he didn't rail against the Roman Empire. And he wasn't a political leader. So we we can offer all of that up to the Lord. We can't change every ill that we see. We can't solve every problem. We can't cure every ill, but we can offer all of our sufferings in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. We have a mission. We have a calling from God. And this is loving the Lord our God. Put the Lord first and trusting him that he will bring a greater good out of any evil he allows. I remember once a priest told me that. He said, God will never allow an evil save that the good that he can bring out of that evil far outweighs that evil. And then he said, what was the greatest evil that ever occurred on the face of this earth? And I'm thinking, well, gosh, I mean, what was the greatest evil? I mean, what can I say? And he looked at me and he said, deicide. Deicide. Man killed God. What? When? Where? How? What? Yes. Jesus Christ (laughs) was truly God made man. It wasn't a show. He wasn't play acting. His divine nature did not leave his human nature on that cross alone. God experienced death. When the human soul of Jesus of Nazareth left his human body, the the divine nature of the Son of God remained united to both the soul and the body. Jesus really died on that cross. And the second person of the Blessed Trinity really remained with him in that death so that the second person of the Blessed Trinity was united to the body that was buried in the tomb. 
He was also united to the soul of Christ that was with his father. And he was uni- he was present there when the two reunited when he reunited. And this is, you know, of course, the the great mystery. A great mystery. But the reality is, all of our sufferings can be offered in union with Jesus. He has seen injustice. He looked on injustice with his own eyes. And he didn't stop every injustice from happening. But he offered himself to the Father as a victim for all of those injustices. And we can offer our sufferings in looking on injustice in union with Jesus and his suffering in order that God can build his kingdom. That's why we're here is to build his kingdom. And that's what this love is all about. We love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, and soul and our neighbor as ourself. The first commandment, the love of the Lord your God. That sums up the first three of the 10 commandments. You love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up commandments four through 10. So these are the two most important is that love, that love that's willing to sacrifice itself for the good of the beloved. I hear that music. (laughs) That means we're coming up on a break here. Thank you for listening. Have your friends join us. If you like this, like and share. Let others know about our Bible study. You can can, now. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you, thank you. Welcome back. And this is Mary Danielle. Terry's doing baby duty. So here we are on this Friday of the third week of Lent, and we were looking at the readings of the day before we get into the Old Testament prophecies about the um, the passion of our Lord. But we have here... Um, you know, we, we pretty much have finished up, but we want to summarize here. In the, in the reading from the prophet Hosea, the Lord is calling us to give up our sins and return to the Lord, that the Lord will be first in our lives. Um, in the psalm, we have the same that's reiterated. We must have no strange gods before him. And then in the gospel, when the, the scribe asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he answers, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart and mind and soul. And... Um, and your strength. And then the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the scribe responds that yes. And this to do this, to love God first and our neighbor as we love ourselves is worth more than all the burnt offerings. And this was, this was the insight Jesus is looking for. He's looking for this man to, to, to do this. And he, of course he knows that man has the wisdom to do this and he praises him for it because it's not all the burnt offerings. It's the loving it's the loving as, as that little, you know, we had Matthew there on the break in, in giving that little, um, it's not what we do, it's the love with which we do it. And that's it. We must love the Lord our God, but we must love our neighbor. And we can't be loving God if we don't love our neighbor. The two of them go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, in the letter of John, it says, don't tell me you love the God whom you do not see when you hate the neighbor who you see. And, you know, sometimes hatred, it's an interesting thing because there's the emotion of hatred and um, the emotion of anger can lead to the emotion of hatred. And that's why when we feel angry, if we think someone's done an injustice against us, we need to catch ourselves and look at it and say, okay, let me, let me feel what the emotion of anger feels like. But then, then I have to make a choice. Am I going to sin? Am I going to commit the sin of anger? Or do I say, okay, I see the injustice here. I can't correct it or I can correct it, but I take the proper means and measure to correct it. 
And what if I fail in my effort to correct it? What if my brother's done something against me and I tell him and he doesn't apologize? Well, then I just lift it up to the Lord in prayer and I make the act of the will not to be resentful or angry because that resentment and that angerness will lead to eventually to bitterness and hatred. And if we cling to those things, they will actually destroy us first. They take us away from God. They make it impossible for us to be with God because God demands that we love our neighbor. As a matter of fact, Jesus at the Last Supper said, you have to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loved us while we were still his enemies. He came to save us when we were completely estranged from him, when we were lost in sin. He came to free us from it. So we need to love our neighbor first before our neighbor loves us. So even if our neighbor won't apologize for wrongs done against us, we still make the act of the will to forgive. And we don't have to allow people to abuse us But we do need to beg the Lord for the grace not to be resentful or bitter or angry or hateful. Okay? And all of our sacrifices are meaningless. And that's, if you read St. Paul's um, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, you know, Paul talks about the the greatest spiritual gift. And he talks about the fact that I could do all these incredible, wonderful sacrifices. But if there's no love in it, then it's all meaningless. So love is the key. You know, that what is that song? Light of the world, shine on me. Love is the answer. Shine on us all, set us free. Love is the answer. Yeah, light of the world, Christ, light of the world. Shine on me. Love is the answer. But the love of God, the kind of God, love that God poured out for us in Christ Jesus, his son. So, We want to take a few minutes before this program ends today (laughs) to um, answer the question that I ask in the title of the show. Does the Old Testament tell us anything about the sufferings of Christ? Did it foretell them? Yes. And I think the answer is clearly yes. And um, maybe as a teacher, I shouldn't say that ahead of time, but I'm going to say that. And then what I want to do is expound where and why I see that. Today, we're not going to look at everything in the Old Testament that tells us about the sufferings of Christ. Next week, maybe we can more, we'll go more deeply into that in the prophets. But we want to look at the Psalms, all right? And remember, the Psalms were something. Jesus was very, very familiar with the Psalms. Now, Jesus himself said that he would suffer. That's, he said, you know, the Son of Man has come to, to, not, to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he tells his apostles, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem. Well, he will be, you know... Um, turned over to the Gentiles and and be killed. Remember, Peter says, no, no, Lord, not you. So we're first going to look at Psalm 2, and I can thank our our pastor here at Our Lady of Grace Parish that is um, a parish of the ordinariate in union, personal ordinariate in union with the chair of Peter that has mass here, Sunday mass on Saturday evening at 5 and Sunday morning at 7.30 and 9. Father Glenn Botten, for his insights here, he talked about this in, in the sermon on Sunday. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. I'm not going to read the whole Psalm, but just the beginning of that Psalm. What is it saying? And what happened? What does it mean? If, if we're going to burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us, well, um, 
if there's a person that God has sent to speak on his behalf, a prophet or his own son, then that person is going to suffer. And we know that, that the prophets did suffer, even at the hands of the people of Israel. When the, it, when the prophets would tell the people of Israel, you need to give up your sins or the Lord's going to destroy you. Oh, we don't want to hear that. And they would beat them or stone them or throw them in a cistern or kill them or, you know, they're just the way it was for a prophet. A prophet was someone who spoke on God's behalf. Um, and so why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain? And it is vain. And yet, and that's, isn't that what's happening in our world today? And are we going along with that plotting in vain? Are we realizing that we need to put the Lord first in our life and we need to serve him first? We need to not be afraid of death and we need to not be afraid of losing our earthly goods. We really need to pray for the grace to be detached from all earthly things so that we're willingly give them up for the Lord if that's what we're called to do. But they, they plot against, and the kings of the earth set themselves against, the, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. And in our day, there's a, we have technology. And it's interesting because the movies, the entertainments, many of the books, the magazines, implicitly, if not explicitly, they reject God. The movies, how many movies do you see where they actually have God is part of the, the, the that the person's relationship with God is actually what's making their life better or making it possible for them to bear sufferings? Or are we looking to some kind of um, magic or extraordinary um, manifestation uh, from nature or, you know, from some matrix or from, you know, whatever in cartoons and, and, and we've used all of this um, superpower, you know, they have hundreds of books that young people read where you have these, these people who go around at night and, and um, come out at night and they have all these extraordinary powers, but never with a mention of God. Well, if someone is showing extraordinary powers that are beyond the capacity of human beings and God isn't involved, there's another spirit involved and that spirit is the enemy of God, the devil. And yes, he can do that. And people can become ensnared in his trap. So we don't want to conspire against the Lord and his anointed, and we don't want to throw off his yoke. We want to bear the yoke. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, because he will help us to bear the burden. If we are yoked to Christ, Christ will always help us to bear the burden. That doesn't mean he's going to take all the suffering away in our life, but it means that our suffering will have great meaning. Now, there's another psalm here I want to jump to real quick. It's Psalm 22. And this is interesting because on the cross, our Lord says something. And it's actually the beginning of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I know many scholars and, and commentators have said, oh, Jesus was despairing. Really? Well, every Jew who would have heard those words would have heard the whole psalm. The Jews prayed the psalms every day. Okay? So this was a psalm that our Lord would have prayed often. And in his sufferings, he would have heard the whole psalm. And what does it say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, 
My God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet thou art holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. In thee they cried and were saved. In thee they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and no man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He committed his cause to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet thou art he who took me from the womb. Thou didst keep me safe upon my mother's breast. Upon thee was I cast from birth, and since my mother's my mother bore me, thou hast been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaw. Thou dost lay me in the dust of death. Yea, dogs are around about me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my raiment they cast lots. Oh my word. There's that music again. I don't know. I, somebody's got to stop that music here. We, we got, we're going to take a break here. We'll be right back with more from Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, the third week of Lent, March 12th, on Bible with the Barbers. And uh, welcome to all of our listeners. And please like and share this and let your friends and family and anyone, co-workers and parishioners and Everybody know that we have a Bible study. So we're talking about Old Testament prophecies, particularly in the Psalms of the suffering of Christ. And Psalm 22 is, is very much, um, it's very graphic about the sufferings of Christ, isn't it? But it's not a cry of despair, okay? So at the beginning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then verse three, yet thou art holy and throned on the praises of Israel. And then again, but I am a worm and no man, scorned by men and dis- and despised by the people. And then it goes on to verse nine. Yet thou art he who took me from the womb and you kept me safe from my mother's breast. Now remember, the, all of these Psalms were written in a historical context and the King, King David suffered much. David is you know, the author of many of these Psalms, at least, if not, if not all of them. And he suffered much. He had to flee from his enemy. And so he, and he cries out to the Lord and he is the Lord's anointed. And the king was considered the Lord's son. He was considered the son of, of, of God. And, and he is. And God made us all. We're all children of God. But particularly, this is a prophecy about the, the sufferings of Christ. And he says this psalm from the cross to remind his followers that, yeah, all of this was prophesied. 
you know, and, and what is it? What did the people say at the foot of the cross? You know, he committed his cause to the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let the Lord rescue him for he delights in him. That's verse eight of Psalm 22, you know, but in, you know, in the new Testament, we're told that they have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. And that's, that's there in Psalm 22. You know, the dogs surround me, a company of evildoers. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. And they divide my garments among them. And for my raiment, they cast lots. All of this was prophesied. It was all there. And Jesus knew all that. He knew these Psalms. He knew what was coming. And he bore all this for love of us. And he didn't go around with a sad face. And he didn't go around chewing people's heads off or getting angry at people. He corrected people when he had to correct them. And there were times when he showed, when he looked at them angrily. Yes, it says that in scripture. But that's not the sin of anger. That's the emotion of anger. He is a just man. He sees injustice and he is trying to correct it. So he corrects the people. But the psalm ends with, with the beautiful, you know, from thee comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. And so this is not a cry of despair, but it was a prophecy of his sufferings. And this is a very good psalm to meditate on now during Lent to look at what was it our Lord was going to have to suffer. You know, they, they have my, you know, I'm, what is it? I'm poured out like wax and all my bones are out of joint. They've disjointed my bones. And in the crucifixion, we're told that's what they did. They had pre-made the nail marks on the cross. Anybody who's ever built anything knows you pre-make the marks where you're going to put the screws or the nails. And if his arm, if the, if the prisoner's arms didn't fit, well, they'd nail the one hand down and then they'd stretch the other arm None of his bones were broken, but it didn't say none of his bones were disjointed. As a matter of fact, it says here that his bones were disjointed. They pulled him out of their sockets in order to make him fit. And it is. I mean, think, we need to think about it. We need to consider what the Lord has done for us and, and not be indifferent to it. We need to beg the Lord to move our hearts to compassion, to compassion for him. And by the way, to compassion for our neighbor who's suffering. You know, even if the suffering is of their own making, you know, we, we have this, this saying that used to go, it still goes around, I'm sure, you made your bed, you can lay in it, you know. And we need to pray for people. We need to pray for ourselves. We make mistakes. We're all sinners. We're all in this together. We don't need to condemn one another. But we need to pray for one another to give up our sins and to turn back to the Lord and to live according. We're supposed to be building the kingdom of God on earth. We're supposed to be living for the praise of the glory of the Father's name for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. We're supposed to be living in union with God, in union with his will. So pray for each other. Let's lift each other up in prayer. And then we have Psalm 31. In thee, O Lord, do I seek refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In thy righteousness deliver me. Incline thy ear to me and rescue me speedily. Be thou a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Yes, thou art my rock and my fortress. For thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net which is hidden for me. For thou art my refuge. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Where do we hear those words in the Passion of Christ? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. 
Rescue me out of the pit they have, out of the snare, out of the net they have hidden for me. The prophet Jeremiah, you know, I like a trusting lamb was led to the slaughter. Oops, I'm getting into the prophecies. There you go. <laughs> Preview for next week. No, but I like a trusting lamb. He, Jeremiah was persecuted because he spoke for the Lord and he wouldn't compromise. Christ was persecuted because he is the son of God. And that we have the, the parable of the vineyard where the, you know, the, we talked about that, where the, the people who were the tenant farmers who didn't own the vineyard, but, you know, they got to farm it. So they got to keep some of the produce, but they were supposed to give to the, the owner what was his. And then they were going to kill the son because then the inheritance would be theirs. But you see, if we kill the son and throw, out, throw him out of our life, then we lose our inheritance. Because the vineyard is already our inheritance because God is granting it to us. God wants to give us a place in heaven with him for all eternity. But if we cast the son out of our life, if we cast Jesus Christ out of our life, if we don't listen to God, and if we cast his commandments out of our life, then we're casting our inheritance out. We will lose it. And by the way, you know, Satan is very, very tricky, and he appears as an angel of light, and oftentimes he gets us to not trust God, and he says, see how much God's letting you suffer? See, that's not fair, is it? And we let God's, our trust in God die in our heart, and then we turn our back on God. Well, Satan's laughing, because he, he, has, he has something prepared for us, too. You see, God made an eternal fire for Satan, for, for Lucifer, for the devil and his angels. God made it for them. At the last judgment, Jesus will say to those on his left, out of my sight you damned into the everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Not for man. God didn't make that for man. He made it for the devil and his angels. And Christ came to save us from that fire. But are we willing to accept his redemption? Are we willing to unite our sufferings to his? Or are we going to say, no, Lord, I'm not going to suffer anymore? Well, first of all, Suffering doesn't define who we are. The sufferings in our life don't define us. We are God's children made in his image. And second of all, no, our suffering isn't eternal. And it will come to an end. And even our earthly sufferings, if I always meditate on my sufferings, and psychologists know this, you can make a person feel sick. You know that? They've done these studies often in you know psychology class in, in college. They'll pick out one person and they'll have everybody, they'll have a lot of people come up to that person that day and say, first person say, you know, you don't look very well. Oh, I'm fine. I'm having a great day, you know. And then another person, you know, you don't look very well. You sure you're okay? And then someone else, wow, is everything okay? Um, you look like you might not be feeling well. Maybe you should go see a doctor. And by the end of the day, that person is feeling sick. So if we are always meditating on our hurts, on what's hurting us, and always thinking about it, guess what? It's going to get worse. It will get worse. But if we're always thanking God and praising him, our, our hurts actually, it goes down. The level of the hurt goes down. But it, it also, some hurts are caused just by the emotion. So if we can talk to our emotions and assure them, no, this suffering isn't going to last forever. It will come to an end. And right now, we just want to um, praise the Lord and give, give him glory and unite our sufferings to Jesus on the cross and to Jesus in his passion and to Jesus in his life. And then our suffering has meaning. And believe me, the saints all suffered, but they were also joyful in the Lord because they knew the love of God poured out for them in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is what Jesus pours out on the cross. But it was all foretold. 
And he accepted it. He accepted the sufferings that were coming for us. And not, not when we were great, wonderful people who had done all kinds of good things. While we were still yet his enemies, while we were still steeped in sin, the Lord came to make us his friends. And then we have Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for the Lord. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What did I steal? Must I now restore what I did not, excuse me, what I did not steal, I now must restore. O God, thou knowest my folly and the wrongs that I have done are not hidden from thee. Okay, so this is, again, the historical context. David, he's being persecuted. But let's apply this to Christ. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What happened at Jesus' trial? The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the people. A night trial, which was illegal. Yes, and not everybody in the Sanhedrin was, was invited because there were people who liked Jesus and believed that he was a prophet, at least, if not the Messiah. They weren't invited. And so they brought false witnesses to witness against him. And so, you know, before the Sanhedrin... He's claiming to be God, so he must die. But then they take him the next morning before Pilate, and what is it? Oh, he's a political insurrectionist. He's stirring up trouble all the way from Galilee here to Judea. Oh, Galilee, Pilate thinks he's going to get out of it. Well, then he can go see Herod. So these Psalms give a glimpse into the sufferings of our Lord. The Old Testament, already. So Jesus knew. Jesus knew clearly what he was going to. And yes, the Old Testament clearly foretells that Christ will suffer, but he does it out of love. And again, love. The, you know, the, the, the gospel ties back to the gospel of today. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart and mind and soul and your neighbor as yourself. And let us strive for that. Let us strive to forgive. What is it we say in that, the act of love? I forgive all those who have injured me and I ask pardon for all whom I have injured. So Lord, you know, just pour out your, your precious blood upon us and your mercy and help us to love you, and help us to know you. And I want to thank all of you who are listening to Bible with the Barbers. I hope you like and share this, and, and make sure you let your friends know that there's a Bible study. And by the way, I do Bible study here on Tuesday nights at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina from 7 to 9. And during Lent, we're upstairs in the offices because the Melkites have prayer service. So thank you for listening. Join us again, please God, next week on Bible with the Barbers.